as a church, we're on an adventure together this year, if you're visiting us, and uh, we are looking at living life well. We're looking at what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, living as he did, with the rhythms, uh, the disciplines that he showed, the ways that he interacted with life and uh, with people. And uh, we, I really enjoyed the silence and solitude. It was tough at times, wasn't it? But we pushed on through. And I think we learned some things. I hope that we learned uh, a little bit as groups and as church together on what it means to be set apart, what it means to be completely on our own with God. And now we're looking at prayer, and last week Tim began that journey as we looked at praying, as we look at what we do sometimes when prayer isn't answered the way that we think, and actually there was a lot of mercy in that talk about actually it's not our fault sometimes if things don't turn out the way that we've, we've yearned for, but God sees us and he is merciful towards us. And in this particular passage, I think there's great hope and I think there's great encouragement, because if ever you thought, prayer was dull (laughs) or boring or duty-ridden. This is pretty explosive stuff, isn't it? And it's not born out of everything in life is going well. It's the opposite of that. Uh, And I know here, I know as I look out, that there are people who are really struggling at the moment as well as people who are having more kind of mountaintop experiences. And life will always be like that. But this passage actually looks at a group of people, at the early Christians, the early church, and looks at when they're really up against it, when they've been put into prison, thrown into prison for being merciful. That's what they've, they've, you know, they're literally being persecuted for healing somebody. And everyone is frightened by this church that is breaking out, this group of people that are on the run, on the move. God is at work and other forces are at work to try and put out that light, if you like, and put out the light of all that they're doing. And as we looked at last week, and as in the uh, booklet that many of us are looking at in our groups or on our own, uh, we were reminded of this brilliant quote, that prayer is not something we master, but an act that forms us, a friendship we deepen, a practice that frees us. And that last bit, I think, is very evident here. These are people living freely and lightly, even though the chains of oppression are all around them in the book of Acts, and particularly here in this chapter. They've received the Holy Spirit at the beginning of the book of Acts. They've received power uh, from God to go out and really proclaim the good news of the gospel, and here they are, having been thrown into prison. And so they call everyone together, and uh, here's kind of what happens um, next. They, They get everyone together, and they say, we are going to pray and they pray with boldness they pray really looking at history thanking God for history and they pray together and I I read this this week that C.S. Lewis had written I thought you know you never quite get to the bottom of his quotes do you there's always more but this one is an interesting one that I hadn't read before that says the more we share the heavenly bread between us the more we shall have of him I want other lights than my own to show all of his facets. And when I first read it, I thought all of his face, actually, but it's both, all of his facets. In other words, the prayer of solitude is an important thing, but the gathered praying is equally important because we learn from how other people pray. 
I found that incredibly in career this year. Learning from how perhaps my prayers are shaped very much by me, by what I want to see God do. Whereas here is a prayer of complete surrender. They do not pray, God, take this oppression away. They pray for more boldness to speak. In other words, let's ramp it up, which I love. You know, this is defiant faith, actually, in action. So there's an encouragement for us that we will learn from one another's praying. We will learn from how each other see God. Um, before we get into the prayer, I, was, uh, I don't know if um, anyone has heard about the new film coming out about Neil Armstrong. And it was interesting, uh, Ryan Reynolds and Claire Foy, the actors in that, were actually talking about the experience of trying to look as if they're going to the moon. And they said that actually as they read what Neil Armstrong said, they said, we went to the moon to discover the moon, but when we went, we rediscovered the earth. And I think when we pray and when we worship, there's a resonance with that, that we see the world a little bit differently. Whenever you and I just kneel or pray or on the bus or walking or running or whatever we're doing, call out to God in prayer, whether it's formal or informal, it helps us reorder our lives. It helps us look with new lenses, just praying with someone after first service. We were just saying, actually, the way God sees that situation is different. And God was able to just show us that. In other words, the way we see through human eyes is different to the way that God sees through his heavenly eyes. That actually, when we pray, we look at earth in a different way. So what do these believers pray? Well, to start with, they pray about creation. You made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. And just stopping there and pausing for a moment before we go any further, there is something about saying to God when we're in a situation when there's perhaps a wall in front of us or we're looking at the way the world is or we're praying for some of the things that we prayed for just now, there's something about nature and creation that God wants us to see in order to trust him. It's not just there are some who like nature and there's some who don't. There are some, we'll all have that. But actually, God speaks through creation. And Jesus reminded people of that. He said, if you're struggling with worry or anxiety, look at the birds of the air. Look at how God cares for them. Look at the flowers of the field. In other words, look at the intricacy and the power of it and trust that I have that same attention for every single one of you. So they begin by saying, you're in control of this, and think about what you're praying for, what's on your heart today, either for you or for the world, or someone you're wanting to really reach with the good news of Jesus, and think about the fact that God has got this. He is in control even when it doesn't always look as if he is, that actually he's got this. And that's where they begin. They say, you made us, and you made this situation. Then they, research, they go back to Psalm 2 in the Old Testament and they say, you spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant King David. So they're referring to the psalm there. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? And that could be a descriptor of our world today, couldn't it? You know, as we cry out, why does that happen? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. So they say there is oppression 
And actually, it looks like all of the rulers, the Sanhedrin, the powers that be were against them, trying to quieten them down. And yet, actually, that's not what they pray to remove. Herod and Pilate met to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided. And that last bit there, I think, is really significant. It helps reframe the way that we pray. That actually we say, you decide, God, and we surrender our will to his. If we summarize the prayer, and of course there's way more to it than that, they say, you made, you made us, you made this world, you're in control. Then they say, you speak. I wonder if you can think for a moment about how does God speak to you? And uh, we did a little bit of a kind of interaction here in first service. How many people would say they've actually heard an audible voice maybe once in their life from God? Okay, right. So there's about eight of us there who would say that. How many people would say they know that God has spoken through somebody else, either texting or messaging or phoning at a certain time or giving them a picture? Okay, loads, loads more of us. How many would say directly through scripture at a certain point in their life, God has spoken through his Bible? Okay, many, many, many of us. And sometimes it's a hunch of the spirit that we might not hear an audible voice, but we just get one of those prompts to phone someone, to call them, or to go a certain way, or to walk another way home. It can be as simple as that, that God says, no, don't go that way, go that way, because he is speaking, he is directing. And I would just encourage you and encourage us to expect God to speak. This group of people expect God to speak. They don't know how, they don't know what he will do or say, but they do expect him to speak. And they declare, you will speak into this situation as you have spoken in the past. And maybe if you feel that actually you're struggling with that at the moment, maybe just learning a few scriptures is a lovely way that God can speak to us to hide his word in our heart uh, so that we've got things to recall when we need them, but that he would speak to us independently, but also when we come together uh, in our prayer gatherings, when we come together. And I think there's something about the economy of God that he is so generous with this that somebody, the message that you have will be the answer to someone else's prayer. I'll never forget when Rachel Riddle came to share with many of us at the women's gathering a few years ago. Rachel tragically lost their son uh, in, a, in a horrible hit-and-run accident years ago and used to be part of this church. And she said when she looked out of the window, just staring out in despair and thought of all her ministry here at Alpha and all the things that she'd done over the years, and she said, Lord, I'll never be fruitful again. This grief is too much. And somebody felt prompted at that moment to text her and say, I don't know if this is right, but I just felt I should say, Rachel, God is saying you will be fruitful again. And I mean, that's unusual because it's so specific and we long for those moments. But that shows us prayer works. One person in utter pain and desperation and one person just sends a text, but they've had God speak to them and therefore they speak to that person. And that can be us. And then thirdly, you decide. In other words, maybe we have become in our consumer world a little bit too prescriptive. I know I have in what I think God should do. 
and I tell him, here's what I think you need to do in this situation. And often, it, by the mercy of God, it can be that. But many times, he will do something even better and different. And it's only when we look backwards, and I think there's something that the apostles are doing here. When we look backwards, we can really see how faithful he has been. Uh, some of you know, and this is a difficult topic, uh, that the lovely Jill Adams, who's part of our church congregation over at Bourneville, has uh, recently been diagnosed with a, a brain tumour. And it's deep in her brain, it's very large, and the prognosis is not good. In human terms, they've given her uh, 14 months at, at best in human terms. Now, I was going to visit her last Sunday and full of kind of trepidation, really, as to how to tackle somebody on morphine, someone with a brain tumour, going into a biopsy and determined to go for it, even though the biopsy operation was quite high risk. And all of those things play in your mind, how to pray, how to approach God for her and uh, be assured that we are going to call the church together to pray specifically about that, and we'll be sending invitations out next week about that. But I got there, and it's one of those times when you feel very small, just very, very small in the light of what she's facing, uh, but we have an amazing God. And just sitting with her, and she said, Judy, I will go for this biopsy because I have faith for it. And I have faith that God is going to heal me. She believes she's going to live till she's 100. Now, she is on morphine, <laughs> and, uh, and she has a brain tumour. But nevertheless, there is faith in her that is beautiful. And she also said, I believe God's story is going to be told through this. And that's this stuff in action, isn't it? You know, that's not the, the pity party that perhaps, you know, we all feel that we would be in. Now I'm sure there will be many moments for Jill of fear, and there were some that day. But as we spoke, I said, well, it's, it's kind of looking at what will, what will happen if God does heal, and what if he doesn't? And kind of a bit like Daniel saying, even if we go into this biopsy and we don't know the results. And then walking around the corner into her room comes the lovely Liz Bryson. Um, and Liz Bryson lost her daughter, um, but actually some of you were part of the journey of Katie where the church prayed for her and she was restored and given many, many years above and beyond what the medics could have ever dreamt or imagined. And then she did die. So Liz knows both. And of all the people, and you're all brilliant and lovely, and I know he's sent many of you to visit her already, that was the right person at the right time, coming in and able to pray with Katie in a beautiful, informed way of what it is to actually say, okay, we're ready for the glory of heaven, but what it is to actually say, no, here's the grace and mercy to be healed here on this earth. And as the believers pray, they pray for boldness, like Jill. They don't pray, take it away. First and foremost, they pray for boldness to proclaim the good news of Jesus. And that is a really big shift for all of us, I think. So as we turn to what they pray for, the first thing they pray is consider this. So if we're praying for something, we don't have to have it. We can just hand it to God and just say, can you look at this with me? You know, maybe you're being bullied at school or at work or at college. Maybe in the workplace, there's somebody incredibly antagonistic towards your faith who's always trying to cut you down. You don't have to pray for retribution for that person, but you can just say, Lord, consider them. What is it about them? What it is about this situation that you can work in? And it's almost like we're just handing it to the Lord. Pray for boldness. 
uh, for courage. I know that my courage comes from the Holy Spirit. I know that I grew up incredibly shy. I know that for many, many years to speak publicly was absolutely terrifying. It's still fairly terrifying, but it's less terrifying now. Um, But actually, the Holy Spirit does give us courage where we ourselves are fragile, where we are frightened. You know, some of my times feeling the Holy Spirit the most have been going into prisons um, and actually being physically sick. I remember being outside Dartmoor Prison, being physically sick. I was so frightened before going in and yet seeing many people that day come to faith and knowing that the Holy Spirit gives you something that is way beyond your human understanding or imagining. Uh, And that's what is going on here. It's easy for us to think that these were the super apostles, you know, (laughs) that they wore the pants outside their trousers and had their capes on and they flew in and everything was amazing. And we talk about the Acts model of church and all of that is right, but we're in that now. We're in that as we've just sung. We have the same power available to us of the Holy Spirit. We have the same power to give us boldness where we're afraid. So if you're nervous about a situation, if there's something where you think, I need your boldness to address this, God is able. And then finally what they pray is stretch out your hand to heal. Stretch out your hand to heal. In other words, they've been oppressed, they've been persecuted, falsely accused, battered and bruised, and they say, Lord, stretch out your hand to heal. This is mercy at its most extravagant and beautiful. And actually, for those who we don't maybe have as many enemies, uh, or maybe we do as the early church, but we certainly know personally there are people who would stand against us. There are people that pray against uh, Christians. I remember when I worked for Salt Mine, having our cars actually wound around with a cassette tape with a curse on all around our cars in the car park where there was a, a, a group of witches praying against, in their terms, what we were doing. And I remember our boss cutting it and praying freedom for all of us. And I'd always wondered what that cassette tape was when you just thought people had very bad cassette players. But actually, it was real. It was something that actually there are powers um, that actually stand against sometimes what we're trying to do, but are never really victorious because of Jesus. And actually, the gospel is offensive, and so we need to keep praying. And I believe now more than ever, we do need to pray together, as C.S. Lewis said. It's great to pray apart, but actually when we come together, we learn from each other. Even those prayers that we just prayed earlier on, one person's passion lights that, relights that in you, opens that door in you and me. I wanted to close with a story that, uh, forgive me, some of you will have heard before, but it's my probably one of my favourite stories about how this stuff can play out in actual practice. Um, There was a lady back in East Anglia a few years back um, where I was speaking about the love of God and uh, there are a lot of um, people who are either new believers or unbelievers there as well. But this particular lady was angry 
And I mean really angry. I mean, you look all lovely, warm and smiley. But she did not look like that. She was tutting at me. She was walking out noisily in the middle of the talk. And um, I really felt her enmity <laughs> coming from her uh, many, many times during the weekend that we were there. And uh, I finally plucked up courage to talk to her in the final coffee break. And I said, oh, you know, it seemed like you've perhaps been having the best of times here, uh, putting it subtly. And um, she said, no, she said, I, I, love, I love your passion for what you believe, but I just cannot believe it. I cannot believe in a God who loves me. Uh, and she had been abused in her marriage, but also in a previous marriage, and had been abused uh, growing up as a child. And she said, when you say God loves me, there's something actually that happens almost physical that repel actually repels back that. She said, I can't accept it. So all your lovely words, she said, did not help me because I can't accept it. And we've got one last session and you do that thing where you kind of think, oh, what have I got in the tank? What, what, what will help do this? And I prayed a real prayer of boldness that did not match how I felt. <laughs> so I prayed, God, let this lady not leave this place without knowing for once and for all that she is loved and precious to you that you love her. And I prayed the prayer and she said amen and I walked away with that spiraling feeling of you better deliver God because I know what I've got and it's not about this in this final session. A good reminder that it isn't about us. Um, all of the time. And uh, so we were worshipping. It was the final session I'd spoken. I don't think anything particularly had happened for her. And uh, then people were just praying and worshipping. And there were about sort of 200-odd um, women around. And um, one girl, was 18 or 19 years old, a student, was just worshipping God. And she was perhaps not in the valley, but maybe on the mountaintop at the time. And she just said, Lord, I love you so much. What can I do? For you, And she looked at her watch and she felt God saying, you know, what's your favourite thing that you have? And she said, oh, it is, it is my watch. And it had a dove embossed on it uh, in Mother of Pearl. And she, it was her favourite thing. And the Lord said, would you give it up for me? And she said, oh, yeah, no, I would. I would give it up for you. And she had this real sense of God speaking, again, not in an audible voice, but in a hunch, that she needed to go and give it to someone. Now, the room was crowded. They didn't know each other. They were from all different churches across East Anglia. But she got out of her chair in the worship and walked over. And whether she had seen that this lady had been a bit antagonistic or troubled, I don't know. But she walked over to that lady in the worship and said, I feel that God has asked me to give this to you. It's my favorite thing. It's my most treasured possession. And I feel that that's because he wants to say that you are his favorite thing. You are his treasured possession. And I mean, if that's not mercy in its most beautiful scale, it completely confounded the woman. And she wore it and she wears it to this day to remind her that actually she is a loved daughter of Jesus, that actually with all the stuff she's been through, she is precious and loved by him. And there's a little tag end to that story where years later I was at uh, French Spring Harvest and uh, this same lady came up to me uh, who had the watch and she just said, hi Judy, do you remember me? And I had that thing of, you know, <laughs> I actually don't, but trying to sort of style it out and say, oh hi, hi, nice to see you, thinking I really don't remember you. And she said, Judy, I don't think you 
you know where you know me from? And she said, oh, this will remind you, and showed me the watch. And the difference in those three years that God had made in that woman's life. I mean, all the makeover programs on television, all the makeup creams or whatever could not have wrought the beauty of that woman because she's starting from a different place she's starting from the fact that she's loved that she's accepted and profoundly important to God so I say that um, as we come to an end because that is the body uh, somebody prayed actually about the wider body working together that is the wider body working together but the end of this passage is an incredible one in that oh I had the same challenge as before. The end of this passage is an incredible one in that actually the Holy Spirit breaks out in such a way that the building itself shakes. And when we think, oh, well, prayer is a duty or a chore or is, is boring, we need to perhaps remind our spirit that it is the greatest adventure and it is the answer to so many of these world's problems, issues, and so many of our internal struggles. And as they pray, and as they say, Lord, stretch out your hand to heal, the problem doesn't go away, but they are so empowered, so taken up with a foretaste of heaven that we read by Acts 5 in the next chapter that many healings and signs and wonders do happen but that they push on. And I felt as we were praying earlier, just to say to you, do not lose heart. As we said last week, if it's hard for you at the moment, if you feel that there is that oppression against you, whether that feels spiritual or there's an actual person uh, at the midst of that, to really pray that prayer. You made, you spoke, and you decide what happens here. Stretch out your hand to heal in power. Let's stand together and uh, I'm just going to read a quote for us and then pray for us.